Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. For our talk today, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, chapter 4. Super easy to find if you're looking in a paper Bible or you can use your phone if you'd like. And to begin our time, a couple weeks ago we did a men's breakfast thing. And if you want to picture it, there were between 80 and 100 men here. We had tables set up. We ate breakfast together. Uh, We did some fellowship around the tables. We did a little worship. And then I did a talk with these guys. Uh, Just before my talk, I introduced to the men, hey, while you're sitting around a table, talk about your scars. If those of you that, you know, because guys are like, yeah, I got this one, you know. Uh, in Nam, I was over in Nam, and they, what, I don't know, we were there talking about scars, and the assignment was, I remember I spontaneously took out 20 bucks, I said, we'll give $20 to the person with the dumbest scar, like you were doing something dumb, and you ended up with a scar. You want to know who, who the winner was? It'll come up on the screen. Now, by the way, it was the guy who has the scar talked to me after service, and I misunderstood. I thought he was playing pole. He, he clarified he, said he was playing soccer. So that's my bad. So the other services, I said it wrong. But either way, can, this was what he was doing, and it reminded me of, uh, by the way, I looked up playing polo on mopeds, Googled it, because I thought, somebody else has done that. Nope. Nobody, just this guy, just this guy and his friends have figured out something not even Google has heard of. Anyway, it reminded me of maybe three different categories of mistakes that we can make. I think you'll agree with this. Uh, One, you can make mistakes that leave a mark. It's when you watch somebody do something and you go, that's going to leave a mark. But you totally recover from it. Second one is you could uh, make a mistake or even a sin that leaves a scar. You still recover, but there'll be a reminder of that. And then the last idea, and hopefully it hasn't happened to you. My guess is a few of us have done this. We will make a mistake that we never recover from or, or especially fully recover from. Consequences that will last our whole life. Um, so here's a question. It'll come up on the screen. Have you ever experienced a life-altering mega mess that was self-inflicted? I had a friend in college um, tried to commit suicide, shot himself, didn't kill himself, severed his spinal cord, was going to be in a wheelchair the rest of his life. That's the, like, that's the kind of thing, I don't know where he's at today or... But outside of some kind of a miraculous intervention, there were going to be consequences for that one. It's the kind of mistake you don't ever fully, you know, you just don't recover from. Hopefully you don't have one of those in your life. My guess is a few of us have. By the way, this is the time when most speak preachers would say, you know what, in Christ, nothing is impossible with God. And no matter what you've done, no matter what it is, you can recover from that. Amen? Right? 
And I want to say, yeah. And I also want to say, almost. Because now some of them are messing with your understanding of God. God has given us enough freedom. In some ways, we can do things that are so dumb, sinful, bad, that we actually can screw up our lives in ways that we will not ever recover from, fully recover from. Things that could affect us now and absolutely will affect us for eternity, and it won't get better. It's true, spiritually. Hebrews 6.1 talks about, we'll just bounce to the end, it talks about acts or activities that lead to death. Some of those things that we can do can kill us. Later in the same section in verse 4, it says, it is impossible. So it's talking about something that cannot be done. Goes on to describe, for those who have once been enlightened. Then it has a few uh, phrases about being enlightened. It's for people who know God well, who've tasted of the heavenly gift, who have walked in the Spirit. It's this description of a very mature and experienced follower of Jesus. And it says, it is impossible for those people, once if you have fallen away, to be brought back to repentance. Now, you can explore this personally. My understanding of this, and by the way, I think I've seen it a couple times. If you get to know God so well, and you know Him well, and you make specific choices to leave Him behind, this scripture would warn you it will be or could be impossible for you to ever come back. I don't think that's an easy thing. I don't think that means like if you have a mistake today, you can't come. But I think there, no, no, no. This is beyond, I think, there must be a place of falling away that is impossible to come back. Matthew 12, 31 says, I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but, <laughs> I just wish the second part wasn't there, it says, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So we're talking about spiritual mistakes that have consequences that are not just lifelong potential, potentially they're eternal. So that's a happy introduction, isn't it? I mean, you're glad you're here so far. Anyway, we're kicking off a series this weekend called Drifters, When Wandering Turns Into Tragedy, and we're going to look at some of the big self-inflicted personal train wrecks in the Bible, where people did things that were so costly that they didn't, it would appear they'd never recovered from them. Now, here's the hope. This is a big hope. That we would learn some things so that our life would never turn out like one of the stories that we're looking at. Does that make sense? Wouldn't it be great if all of us, please imagine this, you would go for the rest of your life, whether it's the next six years or 60 years, wouldn't it be great if in the end of your life you could look back and go, I made it, I didn't have any mega messes in my life. Wouldn't that be good? Somebody say amen, that would be good. So to that end, we're going to explore some of these stories. 
Today we're going to look at a story of a man named Cain. He has a brother named Abel. And basically Cain murders his brother. And there are huge consequences in Cain's life. By the way, it wasn't good for Abel either because he's dead in the end of the story. So let me tell you what's going on. Uh, Creation has taken place. God's created all creation. It was good. Adam and Eve, they sinned and messed things up. Uh, And in this present time, humanity is kind of recovering. Adam and Eve have two sons. They're starting a family. Cain is one of them. He's a farmer. Abel is a shepherd by trade. And things are pretty good. Verse 3 of chapter 4. In the course of time, Cain, the farmer, brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, Abel's the shepherd, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel, the shepherd, And his offering, but on Cain, the farmer, and his offering, he did not look with favor. So both of these guys have occupations. They take a portion of what their occupation has produced, and they're they're making an offering to the Lord. (laughs) And by the way, God looks at Abel's offering, and basically he's like, good offering. Looks at Cain, and he's like, not so much. So Cain, the farmer, was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And then he goes on what I think with some advice, from a fatherly advice to his created son. Um, but if you Do not do what is right. He says, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Here comes the huge mistake. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were there, I'm sorry, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Tradition and some other historical books tell us that he uh, beat him to death with a rock. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? I have in my Bible in parentheses, sassy. Isn't that a sassy answer? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground. And verse 12 describes this curse. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. And you will be a restless wanderer on earth. And from that time on, his life was never the same. 
One commentator said, Cain lost his brother, was banished from his home, and was forced to wander the earth for the rest of his life. Title of the talk this weekend is Cain, One Catastrophic Decision. And I want to look at a couple uh, mistakes that he made that got to this point of the huge tragedy. Let's pray. God, today and over the next weeks, will you build in us spiritual tools and awareness uh, in hopes that we will never experience the consequences of a tragedy that we cannot recover from. Please, help today's talk to land with us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Two ideas, mistakes, arguably, from Cain that led to this tragedy. First one is this. Cain's tragedy was connected to a spiritually, if you want to write something down, lazy. A spiritually lazy, this is what I think, lazy moment. A time when he wasn't diligent enough regarding his relationship or what he was doing with God. Now, just a side note, I don't know that this was part of his life all the time. In fact, if you look at the text, it says, in the course of time. He may have been bringing great offerings, paying attention to God well, like for years, dozens of years, doing things really well. But on this day, apparently... His offering, his approach to God was subpar. And we can learn that from some of the details of the difference between his offering. Cain brought some, it just says some of the fruits of the soil. Let's critically compare that to Abel also brought an offering, and it is more specific. It seems that he was paying more attention to the offering because he brought fat portions from the meat, which by the way, if you want a really good steak, you pay attention to having some, anybody getting hungry just thinking about it, right? A good, if you ever had a good steak, then it has fat, it has marble, is it called marbling? It has marbling in it. So he's being attentive to the pieces that he's offering to God as an offering. And it also, even the animals from which it's prepared, it's from the firstborn, so it's not, it's not like the old arthritic lamb. You know, the one that like goes, right? I don't know that lambs ever do that. Okay? But do you see that there's a difference here between the two offerings? Do you see that? Does that make sense? If, if nothing else, there's another part of it that makes me think there's a difference because it's a, it, this idea of looking with favor. He looked with favor on the meat offering. On Cain's offering, he did not look with favor. The word for favor there means gaze, that concept. So he saw Abel's offering, and when he looked at it, he went, like, that looks good. And with, with Cain's, it just wasn't anything to look at. If you compare the whole thing to a picnic, somebody brought fall off the bone ribs that when you 
look at them, you go, I can't wait. And then the other, and Cain's the guy who brought a tub of discounted potato salad. And the date was like three days ago. Or something like that. Somebody's poking somebody. That's what you do. <laughs> there, but there's something like that going on. Here's the idea. <laughs> you can write this in. Cain apparently brought something average or below average to God. And that is part of the myths here. I, and we're going to spend a little time talking about this. Apparently, Cain forgot who he was bringing an offering to. It reminded me of a verse in 2 Samuel where David, a man who did really, really well almost his whole life of honoring God, he said, I will not make an offering to the eternal one, my true God, that costs me nothing. And I I chose that translation because it emphasizes the eternal one, my true God. We should never forget who it is that the Lord is, and that should affect our response him. And just to be clear, we are not, this is not primarily, at least in my mind, talking about money or offering, although that matters. It's just, what are we bringing to God? And before we're too critical of Cain, isn't it easy to get a little too maybe casual or familiar with the Lord and have our standards fall down? And it's like we forget. Like we think, oh yeah, I, this is my week to give my tithe or my offering, and we forget and then we go, oh, it's not that big a deal. I'll just catch up next week. Or, or I really should love my neighbor. Oh, yeah, that's right. I should love my neighbor, but not that neighbor. God knows. God knows how mean that neighbor is, so I'm not going to love that neighbor. Or I should pray. I should spend time reading the Bible. But it's been, you didn't, you didn't talk to God at all that day. And then we do things, maybe it doesn't work like this in your life, but it's like we say, oh, God understands. It's not that big a deal. I've talked to him before. Or when I take the Lord's name in vain, he, he knows what's in my heart. And by the way, and we think, that's, oh, that's better. No, actually, you guys know what? That's worse. God actually knows what's in our heart at times. And it's like, I don't know if this will make sense. It's like we dismiss ourselves, but God never dismissed it. It's we, does anybody relate to this or are you all perfect? And it's easy to get really casual with our approach to God And by the way, can I tell you something really cool about God? God will caution us, just like he did Cain. I love the fact that God, with his average offering, which by the way, God didn't rebuke him, kill him. He says, whoa, I'm paraphrasing, but he he says, wait, you got to watch this, Cain. And the the text, does it say, I don't know which one, what, what text are we in, where he says, watch out. Sin wants to, why is your faith? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. My interpretation of this is God saying, Cain, pay attention. This is spiritually lazy. You don't want to live here. You don't know what will happen if you stay here. And that's part of, he didn't take the rebuke of God.
basically a reminder, don't forget who God is. In Acts chapter 5, there's a tragic story of a man who pretends he's more generous than he really was. And in Acts 5, 4, one of the apostles confront him and they say, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. A positive example of this is when Peter has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus performs a miracle. Peter realizes that he's a sinful man and he's in the presence of, I think, deity or the Lord or a powerful man. He didn't fully even understand who Jesus was at the time. But he says, it says about Peter, he saw this. It says he fell at Jesus' knees. He humbled himself. He was recognizing who Jesus was compared to himself. And here's a challenge. We should never forget the awesomeness of who he is, no matter how long we walk with him. So here's a question for us to assess ourselves. Do my actions represent an appropriate awe for God? We should keep doing that. So Cain's tragedy was connected to a spiritually lazy moment. The other thing we'll explore is his tragedy was connected to what we're going to call misplaced anger. Another way to think of it, I think, if I could go back, misdirected anger. We're going to talk about the fact that he attacked his brother. Before we get back in the text, story. It's happened to me a few times. I've done this a few times. I'll have an appointment at the church, and I'll mismanage my time, and I'll get in my car, and I'll look down, and I'll realize, okay, I really need, you know, like 15 minutes to get to the church. I got 13, but I can still make it, right? You know how those, and so I can make it. I've done it. I can get here in 13 minutes, and lo and behold, I get stuck behind Susie Speed Limit Obeyer. Do you know her? Are you her? Don't tell us. Or, you know, Jack, the guy who's just enjoying his drive. And then what happens? I'm driving, I'm watching the time click by, I'm like, oh, no, this is bad. I'm going to be late to my, to my meeting. And what happens? What, you know what bubbles up in my heart? I hate you. <laughs> what is your problem? Why are you allowed to live? You should be, right? Do you, you know how we, we do that thing? Some of you right now are like, I'm with you, pastor. Can we kill them all? No. No, the answer is not, can we kill them all? Do you realize how foolish that is? They're not doing anything wrong. I'm the one who's mismanaged my calendar. I'm the one who I'm fully aware of how long it takes to get here. 
I'm, you see, this is on totally on me, and I'm getting mad at them. Now, let's get back to the text. That, that's going on here, except on steroids, because Abel has done nothing wrong. Nothing. And yet, look, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they're there, Cain attacks his brother. And this is, of course, the tragedy. Abel's dead. Cain's about to have lifelong consequences. Here's a truth you can write down. Misdirected anger ruins lives. Ruins lives. I don't want to be clear. This is not just a thing that happens in the Bible. Misdirected anger ruins, wrecks, or causes pain in life in our world way too regularly. We just have to consider this a little bit. It's when the parent comes home from work and work was hard or a hassle and they get ugly with their kids. And it's, the kid, it's not the kid's fault. They came, but they come home angry, and instead of kindness or compassion, they're yelling or whatever, right? It happens in a flip-flop way in the family sometimes when the teenager, they might be frustrated at this area of their life or whatever they're doing. And so then they come home, and they're mean to mom. Mom has not done anything, right? It's, this happens, and the, that causes pain with mom. The flip-flop causes pain with kids. At work, when the, when the boss is having a lot of pressure or whatever, and then he takes it out on the employee, back and forth, this student whose emotional life is not good, and so he bullies or she bullies here. Do you, have you ever thought about this? How, how much misdirected anger is being cultivated all over our culture. And how much of the pain in our world has to do with this? A lot. And instead, in all those moments, just a side note, all those people, so by the way, what do you do with this? All of us, instead of getting mad at so-and-so or all that stuff, what we really need to be doing is running to Jesus Christ and running to God and saying, God, will you help me with this? And instead of beating up so-and-so or being mad at whatever. Is this making sense? Man, this is a big deal. James 1.20 says, human anger. That's what I think is going on in this text. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So here's a question for us to assess. Do I attack others wrongly? And I would invite you to be ruthless in your honesty with yourself. As I was prepping this, I'm very excited about this point and this idea. Because I think we're talking about this today because God wants to intervene in some of our lives and set us free from even a lifelong pattern of anger. That's what I think God wants to do today. It's one of the things we're going to pray about. 
at the end. Before we get there, I'm going to give you some hints from the text that will help us not wrongly attack people. All right? We'll finish with this. Listen well to God's warnings. Oh, if Cain would have just listened when God said, Hey, what are you doing? Why is your face downcast? Do what's right. The whole story would have been different. Listen when God is confronting and correcting you. Listen well. Second hint is own your responsibilities or own our responsibilities. My fault that I don't leave early enough to get to the office. That's on nobody else. The third idea may not quickly come to mind. Celebrate others' successes. Celebrate others' successes. Wouldn't it be great if on our spiritual tool belt, when something goes well for somebody else, we had the capacity to applaud their success instead of get mad at them like Cain did. Can I give you an alternative ending to this story that would have been way better? You got the offering thing. Cain's offering is subpar. Abel's offering is good and has the Lord's favor on it. Wouldn't it have been great if Cain would have said, Abel, let's go for a walk in the field. And he would have walked his brother out in the field and said, I brought you out here to thank you for being a good model of the faith. I just appreciate you. And maybe, Cain, would you just pray for me because I want to do better. Because I saw what you're doing, I think, man, I need some of that. Or maybe even he could have said, we're stretching it now. He could have said, and I brought you a rock. I was going to kill you with it, but instead, I've engraved on here like world's best brother. Here. Wouldn't that have been way better? Celebrate the stuff that other people are doing well. And I know I kind of make fun of that-ish, make a joke about that. But I am convinced that some of this ability to celebrate the good things going on in other people's lives somehow opens the door. Like if we have that capacity, God looks down and celebrates us, maybe knows he can entrust us with valuables or something. Because how many know most people, that does not come easy. If we could do that, I think that those moments, God will look down and say, man, I can trust her. I can trust that guy. And it could open the door to favor in our lives. All right. Um, We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.